Hello and welcome one and all to another episode of I Am The Knight, the weekly podcast where we look back at episodes of Batman the Animated Series. This is episode 12 and this week we're looking at Batman the Animated Series episode 13. I've got Batman in my basement. Well, you should probably let him out. I really should. I mean, I've kept him there for so many years, bless him. Practically all your life. Practically my entire life you're not wrong and as you can hear listeners with me as always is my son and fellow dc comics news dark knight news writer adam hello it's a pleasure to be back as always i couldn't help but just jump in before my formal introduction because that was just too obvious a joke not to tell but still we're catching up with batman in our basement and it's a really charming offbeat episode isn't it it's great and yeah he's not lying batman's been part of my life and part of my basement attic um, bedroom and office forever and yeah what a great silly fun yet brilliant brilliant episode of, of the show I loved every second of this one it was uh, homegrown Goonies meets Home Alone <laughs> child's romp adventure wasn't it you you couldn't have put it better if you tried absolutely right there's elements of, of everything from the opening with two guys going up in a window cleaners outsider elevator and it's just so clever the way they're drawn you know from the second you see them these are goons these are baddies these are villains it was they were in plain smock like mm-hmm. clothes like uniforms they had very stern serious angry expressions and the beautiful beautiful music probably my favorite one of my favorite characters is the music in this show without a doubt and it was a very low drawn out tone of a malicious intent and sure enough our, we were proven right as they go in use a laser cutter to uh, very efficiently steal a Fabergé egg was it a security measure was it glowing who knows I don't know what it was but it was definitely shiny pretty pretty pretty, pretty shiny shiny um, beautifully directed episode by Frank Power, who's uh, become one of the most prolific and fun directors to watch in this series. And a lovely, as you say, poignant story from Sam Graham and Chris Hubble. And this is definitely one that kids could watch yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Frank Power had the uh, the tall task of directing uh, Every Day the Clown, I mm-hmm. think it was the title, where we saw the Joker infiltrate and steal the Be a clown. That's it steal the mayor's son so we get him hearkening back to the the quote-unquote target audience Mm -hmm. and he does that very well in that episode and in this one as we see sure there's goons of but it's goons of being dealt with by the most innocent and homegrown heroes out there little kids Uh, and what heroes i mean i think i might have a a new favourite dynamic duing, Sherman and Roberta. Yeah. Um, I love them. Great junior detectives they are. And in fact, they are, to be honest. I'd say they did a great effort to thwart the Penguins' grand theft plans and protect Batman at the same time. I mean, how many kids, in all honesty, would even go into that warehouse? Um, how many kids would follow a gigantic South American vulture through the streets of Gotham City on their bikes? And... I fell in love with him the minute he got his detective kit. The minute we met those kids, I thought, these are my people. These are good kids. These are good kids. They make the effort to go out and ask brave questions and be a little bit daring and 
true of themselves even in the face of bullies like the we see those two other kids sort of turn around over the course of the episode but starting off they give little Sherman a little bit of neck and a little bit of lip about his detective stuff and they keep miss saying his name but he doesn't shy away from the fact that he has his detective's kit he knows what he's about and he likes solving puzzles and solving mysteries and he says that uh, even when they start playing keep away with the binoculars and stuff but it's a good thing to show little kids it's just like be who you are like what you like Absolutely. the bullies are going to get in your face but that's fine enjoy it it's all good for you and it's such a complete turnaround I have to credit the writers Sam Graham and Chris Hubble for this episode because like you said it's the typical guy who's a little bit quiet a little bit different a little bit introspective he wants to be a detective he doesn't want to be a footballer or or anything like the standard tropes and the two kids are annoying they're bullies but rather than have them get eggs on their faces and um, the worm turns and the bullies get beaten up they actually turn towards being a part of Sherman's gang by the end of the show after they see, well, listen, this kid's a hero. Yeah. Not only does he go in and face danger, he saves Batman's butt, a quite couple, literally. A couple of times, I'd say, over the course of the episode, because he drags him out and flings him into the Batman field after he's been hit by that extra strong knockout gas. Then he puts two and two together and gets the antitoxin, gives it to him, but then still has to hold off while he recovers by Home Alone-zing his house upstairs, much to his mum's Oh, and how Home's Alone does it get? I mean, first of all, we see at the beginning when Batman literally falls into his own car, the kit, tools, and array of power that car has. So there was, like, gas canisters, several different kinds of rockets, the spinning buzzsaw thing on the wheels, just like out of the Michael Keaton movies, which I don't know how practical they are, but they look really good. Um, I think it's like testing out tyres, maybe. I don't know. Um, Rockets, missiles, machine yeah. guns. <laughs> oh yeah, the machine guns right at the front. There were there were lots. There was lots of kit about the Batmobile, which made me really worried that little kids were trying to like twiddle those buttons, right? Because that could have blown up or flung him through the ejector seat or something. Absolutely, and then obviously the poor Roberto handling the pedals because Sherman couldn't reach them. It's just classic, classic stuff. It's good clean, homegrown little kids fun. And it serves them well because they're able to get Batman to safety, which is exactly what he needed in that vulnerable state. Then nursed him back to health and kept the Batmobile mostly well hidden and came out as heroes. And Batman recognised them as such towards the end. And then, like you said, the Home Alone moment. Not only do we see Batman's kit in his car, the kit... In his bat, in his uh, utility belt. Oh yeah, puts a great use. Yep, the bowlers and the uh, the gas pellets and the line of the trip line that actually wrapped up that one bug. Yeah, was so, so satisfying. It's just you got you see him trip inside the cupboard. He comes out wrapped up and bound up and just fallen over himself. It's a great bit of farce, but a great way to show that these kids are inventive and. Honestly, the exact kind of mentality and inventiveness that Batman aspired to when yeah, he was absolutely. training, and the stuff he would want to inspire the people of Gotham. I, I would love to think that years after this episode, that Sherman is a fully fledged detective, either for the GCPD or independent, and that Batman's helped put him through college, or Bruce Wayne has helped put him through college, because 
I just see that happening so realistically. I think that's a wonderful idea, and I think that's something that, especially this version of Batman, the Batman who helped those two miners yes. that were kidnapped get into jobs into Wayne Enterprises, I think that's something that this Batman would do. I actually also think we get the first glimpses of that, because he was there standing at the window to the basement listening to show yeah. and give out plans of just like, all right, you guys go take care of this, me and Roberto are going to look into this. Yes. Wonderful little home grassroots detective stuff around their neighbourhood. So I think he's fostering that very nicely. And that lovely touch with the the former bullies, Nick and Frank, actually working with Sherman in his fledgling detection company and saying, hey, you're the boss. I and mean, that, to me, was just a beautiful hey, moment. Hey, you're the boss, Sherman, because they've been yeah. playing around with his name. Sherwood, Sherlock. They've been playing around with his name the whole episode. <laughs> but then right at the end, they... He had earned their respect and... Yeah. And friendship, I think. Yeah, very much so. I think all four of those kids could go on to become great investigators and great crime fighters of a kind or another. Absolutely. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it too. It'd be something worth thinking about. That, that's a script you and I can write together, probably. It'd be very interesting to possibly set it... Like, I hate to have to change the tone from what was a very light episode mm. of an otherwise quite dark show into the very dark comics. But I think reasonably speaking for him to be grown up and working as a detective it would put him around the time of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns Batman well I don't know because if you think that this is Batman just like now this is year one year two at the most Mm -hmm. and this kid's 12 so this would be him fighting the good fight in Gotham while Batman's doing big Grand Justice League 10 years later when Batman's fully um, in his role there's a detective agency run by a 22 year old guy and his uh, fiance hmm. and two buddies, and um, they again help the people who can't help themselves thanks to Batman Nibblers. But hey, listen, we're digressing because we're yeah. writing our own fanfics in our heads. That's oh. how good this episode is. Yeah, it really is. And you wouldn't think that from what was otherwise like a almost like as popcorn as this as this show could get, but it's still so well realised that you mm. can fall in love with a home home roots calm, quiet, daring adventure episode. And like you say, this is so almost family-based that you almost forget it's Batman. And we mentioned um, the giant South American vulture at the top of the episode, and we've gone on to talk about these kids and and saving Batman and being heroes themselves, and totally forgotten that there is a major Batman villain in this episode. I really wanted to have a long talk about the Penguin in this episode, because mm-hmm. well, as soon as I saw the giant bird attack, it's like, yeah. oh, great, it's Penguin. Me Solid. too. Absolutely. I, yeah, because like, I'm sure you remember this episode. I didn't quite remember this episode, and that's fine. I'm going into this show with a almost fresh perspective. What did I say to you before we even watched this episode? Oh, son, you're going to love this one. This one's a classic. This one's great. And yes, I did. And <laughs> I'm proud to say it. But there was... This was obviously like a version of the Penguin that's still very like garish and... And yes. into his ornithology and bird culture and stuff so much that he's stealing ornamental eggs and is, yeah. and is training yeah. South American attack birds. <laughs> sure. Whole warehouse full of birdseed. Whole warehouse full of birdseed, even though the vulture is carnivorous. Makes total sense. I don't care. I don't care either. It's so charming. I love it, honestly. We get, like, the more garish and cartoonish version of the penguin, but that's why I love the penguin so much as a villain. Absolutely. He's. I've seen him 
as the outlandish, bird-loving, sort of recluse eccentric. But I've also seen him as done by the um, remarkable performance of Robin Lord Taylor. Oh, absolutely. And some of the... And his interpretation in the Arkham video games, Mm -hmm. where he is a nasty, manipulative gangster. Mm -hmm. It just shows that as a villain that's comparable in age to Batman, Mm -hmm. I would say, Mm -hmm. probably, that you can interpret him in so many different ways and it's still recognisably the same character. Which is a very hard thing to do, but that's why Batman's Rose Gallery is so forgiving, is that you have enough characters to be able to do that, and you're still not copping out on any of the characters. Yeah. But this was a very nice version of the Penguin as well. I was very pleased, and as what I was expecting was definitely what I got. I love the fact that it seemed to be, again a hybridization of virtually every version of the penguin we've ever seen up to that point from the forgotten aristocrat that is Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot trying to regain his uh, position in society and calling the family peasants and their humble abode and wrecking the place as he walks in and the very pronounced um, more posh North American accent bordering on British at points and yet he looks also a lot like Danny DeVito's penguin yeah, with the does. flippers and the bald head under the hat. And I just think it's a lovely, lovely combination of every penguin we've ever seen. Yeah, I, I like the very well-spoken upper crust yes. sort of versions of the penguin, which is why I like the and a similar but otherwise opposite tone. I like the Arkham Games Batman mm. uh, penguin because he's... Uh, North London gangster, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really interesting take that I've not seen it done anywhere else. And it's sort of a weird spot in Batman animated culture because I didn't mind it but didn't love it, but you personally did not like the Batman, the animated series from the 2000s. With the I weird... liked it, but again, I, I just make the mistake of comparing everything to this show. And on repeat viewing, it's actually pretty decent stuff. The Penguin featured very heavily in that show, and I liked it because they had written into the story a huge family feud between the Cobblepot family and the Pennyworth family, mm. which I thought was another aspect that you could incorporate into the whole rich, upper-crust sort of dude trying to get back his family name because he knew a very prominent English family from back in the day. But this version is definitely the truest mixture of so many different interpretations from across Silver and Golden Age into now that I honestly can't fault it. One thing I would say is surprising, and we touched on this a minute ago, you said that this is still a young Batman starting Mm -hmm. out. We've had a lot of introductions to other villains earlier on in the season. Yes. We've seen Coke Langstrom explain the science as to how he transforms into Man-Bat. We heard Poison Ivy explain her rationale as to why she cares so much about plants. Penguin's established in this in this world. Because mm-hmm. not only did Batman know him, the kids knew him. I think that's because it's drawing back to that thing from the comics where, even though that did come a lot later, 
where he was a gangster and a crime lord before he was a supervillain and tackled Batman. So he's got a reputation as someone you don't mess with from the street level, I think. Yeah. I'd That's say, the way I'd, I'd explain it. Yeah, I'd say that probably is the the logic behind but I found that still quite interesting compared to very interesting compared to some of the introductions that we got from a lot of other Two-Face's origin we saw him come from exactly Harvey Dent to become Two-Face exactly that's that's another side that was just a pleasant surprise and it adds up really well because if they had done the introduction it would have made this episode probably too stuffy yes and too packed too it flowed beautifully without having that yeah and it's playing to the assumption of either Bat fans know him, it's great, he's garish and outlandish enough to be able to fight these kids and still lose, and it's still a great bit of camaraderie, or it's, oh, he's a gangster who likes birds. Okay. Yeah, either way it works. Either way it works. Spot on, yeah. It's just clever. It's writing stripped back to its essentials without over-exposition, over-explanation, going into histories that really aren't necessary, introducing a villain who, by the end of the episode, you know mm-hmm. perfectly well. He likes birds, he looks like a penguin, and he's scary. Perfect. That's exactly what you would want in an introduction to a villain, because we don't get as much with people like the spherical slaver from the, <laughs> mi- from the miners and the, and the sewer king. We just get, these are nasty pieces of work that should not be trusted, and we know not to. That's so we get that here, but... Lucky for us, Penguin is an established favourite that we will see again. Yeah, and um, I mean everyone knows Mark Hamill, um, legend from everything he's he's ever done, uh, particularly obviously the infamous Joker and the famous Luke Skywalker. But I have to talk about Paul Williams, who plays Penguin, because you may not know this that this guy is like an American national treasure, not only a voice actor, but an actor of stage and screen and actually more famous believe it or not as a singer and songwriter he's given music to uh, stuff like Bugsy Malone the original A Star Is Born with Barbara Streisand and and musically he's gone from that extreme to working with David Bowie and Daft Punk wow. in more recent years um, he's appeared on Dexter's Laboratory the original Hawaii Five-0 the Battle for the Planet of the Apes movie uh, Star Trek Voyager, all three Smokey and the Bandits, and the list goes on. He's I mean, done everything. He's absolutely, honestly, coming into the show. Um, apart from Mark Hamill, obviously, he was probably the most well-known um, figure that to, to, to join the show. And like I said, that list is stellar. Yeah, it speaks volumes for itself before this project and after. He's done literally everything. When you say someone who's done that prior to a show like this Mm -hmm. and then doing something like this, I hate to talk down to a legend of visual media, but it sounded almost like the director of Citizen Kane becoming Unicorn. <laughs> or directing Burger King commercials or according to, to Joey. No, I, I, I fully believe that Orson Welles directed some Burger King commercials, let's be real. But it's amazing to see that someone with that kind of body of work behind yeah. him is still willing to be a villain on quote-unquote Saturday morning cartoons. I like to think he probably jumped at the chance, to be honest. I'd like to think that too. I mean, that's a unique opportunity and... It's done in great space because he's been recognised as one of the more distinctive voices behind this behind this character. It's something I think is other other actors have sort of tried to pull from the sort of like upper cro- upper brass sort of tone to it and the sort of yeah. birdie nature to it. But so. do you not find hmm. that um, 
the Joker and the actors that have played him divide a lot of people. I personally appreciate every version we've seen of the character from Cesar Romero and his visible moustache under the makeup all the way to Joaquin Phoenix. But Penguin, honestly, none of them have divided. Every single version of that character has fans. I mean, just talking live action and, and the animated uh, Paul Williams version from this episode. Burgess Meredith in the 60s show, legendary. To set up the look absolutely very much informed the actual dress code of this Penguin, yeah. which I like a lot. Danny DeVito's Penguin in Batman Returns was phenomenal. A phenomenal piece of acting and just nightmarish, but what mm-hmm. would you expect from Tim Burton? There you go. Yeah. And like we've already mentioned Robin Lord Taylor, not only a wonderful, wonderful person, um, meeting him was, was, was fantastic, but his, Robin, his Penguin, over five seasons of stellar TV in Gotham, changed, grew, developed, fantastic arc, until he became the monocled chubby penguin at the very end, in the final episode. Um, and obviously Paul Williams, every version of Penguin's been brilliant. And like I said, the gangster penguin from the from the video games. Yeah, he was, uh, especially in uh, Arkham City, he was a particularly big villain towards the early and middle bit of the games. He controlled like, this huge section of Arkham City itself and he put threat after threat in the way of Batman but was still the cigar smoking overweight North London gangster but was still a force to be feared even so that right at the end even though he wasn't really a hard boss fight to fight he was there with a huge rocket launcher so he was always a powerful figure and always has been and uh, villain one really should respect so it's good that there hasn't. We've been blessed with such good versions of him on screen. Really have in other media. Really have. And you say in that whole North London gangster thing. So obviously, I've never been huge into video games. But I've seen you play um, the Arkham games, and they look phenomenal. But after watching season one of Pennyworth, set in sixties London, I really want to see the Cobblepots appear now. I think it's a really logical idea. But between the whole feud they had in the the Batman animated TV shows from like the early two thousands mm-hmm. to that, uh, what you might call a collector. That's how he yeah. sounded. And I'll show you some. I love that. I'll show you some art of how he looked in the games uh, after because you know the Arkham games. They were always mm. quite visceral yeah, and dark. Absolutely. He didn't have a monocle. Mm. He had the end of a Coke bottle jammed into his eye that was not what? able to be removed. Wowza. So this was a much more battle-hardened penguin that I was always very interested in. Mm. So I can definitely see them drawing on from that sort of side of things going into other media. Personally, that is how I would write him in future, but there's no right or wrong way to interpret a character this old and this diverse. Because we can get that beaten-to-hell gangster, and we can get the stuffy, over-the-top aristocrat who loves his birds. And both would fit perfectly in the world of Pennyworth. So Bruno Hello, if you're listening, there's some ideas for you. Copyright Adam Ray, Stephen Ray. Uh, checks in the post, please. And again, we've digressed because this episode just fired my imagination and synapses in, 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 in such a way that... I mean, I've loved every episode we've seen so far, but this one is definitely a firm favourite from the kids to just the, the view of Batman. I mean, nerve toxin, which Penguin says should have him knocked out for a week. And yet when he wakes up, even though he's still visibly groggy, which makes it realistic, 
he takes down the goons and with the help of the kids gets penguin in the bag too again another brilliant batman that we all know and love you can knock him down you can take him out but unless you kill him be prepared for a butt whooping because he's just going to come back bigger and stronger than before that centers us back to the main character of the whole series and it centers us back to the moral i think he's trying to teach these junior detectives mm. perseverance he's been knocked down he's on his back for the vast majority of the episode unlike what we would expect where the main character is sort of benched in, a, in an episode or something we're not losing anything because he's still there in spirit he's mm-hmm. there his Big actions team. are driving the rest of the force in the story and we can feel his presence and we do cheer as soon as he comes back because we know that yeah. he would and it's so rewarding to see it. It was very well handled. And, and so cleverly written with the devices of the Batmobile still taking a, a lot of his spot for, for a, a part of the episode and the gadgets from his uh, utility belt. I mean, it's just so incredibly Batman, yet giving the young heroes and the villains a chance to shine as well. I actually think it's such a phenomenally well put together episode. It really is. It would have been quite easy to just like go from set piece to set piece of the kids are dragging him away the kids are sitting around in his basement trying to think if they but the transition of um, Batman in his haze trying to explain where the antitoxin is and then the next scene of him finding it it's paced well enough so that it doesn't feel rushed but there's enough in the way so that it's not so that it's not dragging so difficult to pace but it's so well handled I mean I just don't know how they can cram so much story without making it feel forced or shoehorned into 20 minutes of TV it's it's just cracking stuff I think it's them and just talking back to my studying of writing Mm. at the degree level it's them being incredibly concise every scene and every bit of dialogue has a purpose that will pay off later even with the early stuff of them all outside Sherman's house and the kids picking on him we see the development of those two kids into much nicer kids that want to work and respect Sherman and we also see the kids whole attitude of him wanting to investigate and be a detective and be heroic and then him following the bird off to the distance to find where the initial stuff happened with those two thugs stealing Mm. the egg for Penguin and we find the villain of the piece everything is relevant to each other and is relevant within itself. There's nothing unnecessary, no padding, nothing. It's very tightly written yes. mechanical stories. It's beautiful. Absolutely. And again, great job by Sam Graham and uh, Chris Hubble there. And I want to give uh, credit to obviously to the young actors of the show who were more or less the stars. Matthew Brooks, who played Sherman, Denise Marco, who played Roberta. Adam Carl, who played Nick, and Rick Gillian, who played Frank, the two bullies turned good guys at the end. And again, I don't have a single bad thing to say about this episode. Any highlights, lowlights, any particular bits you want to talk about? I just wanted to give a nice uh, little shout out to the nice people at Screen Junkies who make the Honest Trailers because they were very much right. One of the main stars of Batman the Animated Series is Random Gas Attacks. <laughs> it's so true. Because it's a... It's a nice, we see two of them in this episode. We do. And it's like the one of the ones that starts with 
gas attacks and then the montage of all the gas attacks in the mm. honest trailer. The yeah. first one was the one that put down Batman Fantastic. in this episode. Fantastic. And I can see why it's done. It's a, a forceful, effective, visceral way to show a character suffering without unnecessary violence, which yeah. you don't want to give over. Maiming in, blood and guts, yeah. Which, you, which we can't give over in quote-unquote children's TV. So I see why they've done it, and it's a great effect, but it's like two in one episode just feel like a lot. But I can't fall an episode this fun. I, I just can't. Totally agree with you. Not a bad word to say. Terrific performances by the cast. Again, the music, Shirley Walker's score, how they did that every week for 60-odd episodes in season one is just mind-blowing. And again, who could ever forget Danny Elfman's Batman theme? To me, still the greatest of them all. Yep, he is the Batman. And, um, well, what else can I say? Um, great stuff. And, again, please send us in your comments. Do follow, rate, and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to the show, because it's available across all of those. Um, as you can also find our sites, DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, across social media, um, from Tumblr to Facebook, to Twitter, to YouTube, and everywhere in between at DC Comics News at DKNews.com. And yeah, brilliant episode, brilliant Batman. Adam, we know where we can find the podcast and the two websites. Where can we see you? With the two websites, first and foremost, I review two titles on Dark Knight News and I review Supergirl on DC Comics News. You can also find me writing the odd piece on tabletop role-playing games and tabletop trading card games on our own personal site, our pride and joy, fantasticuniverses.com. You can follow me on Twitter at IzzetsTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T Tinkerer, and you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes most Tuesday nights streaming Dungeons and Dragons with my dear friends. And where can you be on the social meds? Well, again, the main focus is uh, Dark Knight News, where I am editor-in-chief where I edit everyone's work and review a number of titles and the Batwoman TV show and I uh, review also for DC Comics News interview TV stars uh, writers artists across both websites the easiest way to catch all of that stuff is just by simply doing a Google search for Steve J Ray follow me on Twitter L Stevo at E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O our own website Fantastic Universes again just Google search Fantastic Universes and a big shout out out to also my friends and colleagues at the wonderful DC-based Earth9 DC website. Um, great bunch of people, and as is anyone who follows comics and follows DC, Batman, and everything that goes with it. And uh, people, fans of Batman the Animated Series, have you seen Batwoman, the Crisis on Infinite Earth crossover with Kevin Conroy yet? If not, go do so now. You'll be shocked, you'll be surprised, you'll be stunned, and you'll thank me for it later. So that's it. This has been I Am The Night. He is Adam Ray. He is The Night. We are The Night. This has been the I Am The Night podcast. Adam, what does everyone out there really need to do more of? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now. See you next week. Batman.